0: Today's episode of SFF Yeah! is brought to you in part by Book Riot Insiders. Have you tried out Book Riot Insiders? If not, your time is now. It's our resource specially designed for our fellow book nerds, and you can try it free for two weeks. There are different levels available, so you can decide which perks you want from a monthly behind-the-scenes newsletter to exclusive podcasts and giveaways. And speaking of perks, we've got a new release index curated by resident velociraptor Liberty Hardy, so you can see the most exciting new books coming in the next few months. Check it out and sign up for your 14-day free trial at insiders.bookriot.com. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 60, and we're recording on August 9th. I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today, we're talking about non-human narrators. Super
1: exciting. So excited. I know.
0: For some reason, I don't know if this is where your brain went, but I immediately thought about animals. Like, every other type of non-human narrator was, like, wiped from my mind. And I was like, (laughs) oh, my goodness, have I read any animal narrators? It's true, though. (laughs) And then I realized there are so many other – there are lots of things that are not human.
1: (laughs) Right, right. It's so true. It's so true. I mean, animals are sort of the first place my brain went as well. And then I was like, oh, right, there's such things as, like – aliens and like sentient like objects and stuff so (laughs) precisely
0: it's so it's so funny but i had a good time coming up with some topics for
1: this one very same very same
0: uh should we talk about our first sponsor and then get into our news
1: Let's do it. I'm excited to talk about today's sponsor because this book is on the top of my personal TBR stack. It's Dragon Republic by RF Kuang, which is the follow up to The Poppy War, which you heard us talk about many a time on this show. And I will just say that the summary for Dragon Republic includes spoilers for The Poppy War because it's a sequel. Like, how can you not do that? So if you haven't read The Poppy War yet, you might want to skip ahead and just know that it's awesome and that book two is out now. Uh, if you have read The Poppy War and you're or you're down for spoilers, let me tell you a little bit about it. So Rin, our heroine, is back and she is more powerful and dangerous than ever. The battle for Nikon's survival has just ended um, but Rin like, can't get over the atrocity that she committed because obviously no person with a conscience is <clears throat> ever going to be 100% feeling good about committing an atrocity even in war and to save her people so she like doesn't know how to move on but she feels like she can't do anything else until she avenges the betrayal of her homeland, which means going after the traitorous empress who betrayed it. And so now she is thinking she might join forces with the powerful dragon warlord who's plotting to conquer Nikon. But the more that she witnesses the fight for power, the more she feels like there's no good way out of this. And this series is full of historical details based on the history of 20th century China, which is one of the things I loved about the Poppy War. And there's also obviously dark, magical things like phoenix gods and, you know, warlords and powers and all kinds of different things. And this is a series that really grapples with the real psychological costs of war, even when, you know, you're protecting your people and trying to use your powers for what you see as good. So, there's a lot of complicated morality and ethics and what do you do with great power comes great responsibility, etc, etc. It's good stuff. So, again, and that is The Dragon Republic by R.F. Quang. It is out now and it is the sequel to The Poppy War and you should all pick it up.
0: I need to catch up on that series. It sounds so good. Oh, so good. Um, okay, let's talk about some news. Yes. And I think I want to begin with this N.K. Jemisin news. Mm-hmm. So we just got word that the Broken Earth trilogy is going to become a tabletop RPG Which is 100% something I was not expecting at all, Um, but I am also really delighted because, as we've talked about on this show many times, N.K. Jemisin is such an amazing world builder, Mm -hmm. which is probably why this idea took off in the first place because there is so much... There is so much to the Broken Earth trilogy, but I'm really curious about how they're going to translate it into a game. So there isn't too much um, information here yet about the game, but it's coming from Green Ronin Publishing, which also gamified The Expanse. And again, it's going to be a tabletop RPG. So if you really enjoy the, I know so many people who enjoy playing RP tabletop RPGs, and I ever since we talked about like gaming in books, I've been like, maybe I should get into that, like, try it out. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so people have been really excited about the world that N.K. Jemisin created. And one of the quotes um, from Jemisin herself is that she's heard from a lot of her readers. She says, I've heard from many of my readers that they're fascinated enough by the world of the broken earth that they'd like to visit it which is like, ah. (laughs) she does to say in parentheses, nobody wants to live there though. Um, And now they're going to get their chance. So she's on board with it. She's working with Green Ronin to make sure the spirit and feel of the books is rendered successfully, as she says in this piece. Um, And it's good. It's named after the first book in the series, which is the, the fifth season. So If that sounds exciting to you, the RPG is going to be released next fall. So you've got a little time. Uh, We've got a lot of time to wonder about how it's going to play out. And I might even attempt this myself, even though... I am not particularly good at these things Um, (laughs) as if it involves like strategy. This is why I think I'm going to die in any sort of science fiction or fantasy universe (laughs) because I just like I'm just like trust everybody and do (laughs) all the nice things. Um, So, yeah, it's super interesting and exciting news.
1: Yeah, I'm jazzed about this. I'm super curious about what it's going to be like. And I think it's interesting. Apparently, if you've played the Game of Thrones RPG that Green Ronin has put out, this is going to use a revised and customized version of the Chronicle system that they use in that. So if you're already familiar with that system of gameplay, you will have a head start going into this one. Sharifa, I feel like what we need to do is play this together like over Skype or something. (laughs) Or I'll come come back out to Portland and we'll put together a Book Riot game.
0: Yes, let's use that as an excuse for you to visit. But I would yes. totally do that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll it's, add this to our, our Blade rewatching yes. and our, our tabletop RPGing.
1: It's like the experiential SFF Yeah series yes. of episodes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so awesome. And then we'll yeah. go get ice cream.
1: Yes, all of the ice cream. Portland has really good ice cream, y'all. Um, okay, so let's see. <laughs> I I want to talk about... Uh, I want to talk about... What do I want to talk about? There's a bunch of TV (laughs) news. I want to talk about Lev Grossman and this space opera series that he is working on. This is interesting to me for a couple of reasons. So Lev Grossman is the writer of The Magicians, which then became a very successful TV show, obviously. And he and the Russo brothers, who are... You might know from the Marvel movies. uh, They directed... Infinity War and Endgame, if I remember correctly. Uh, They just sold a pilot to Amazon that they're pitching as Star Wars Meets the Magicians. Um, It's called The Heavens. It's a classic space opera. And the story centers on a young, gifted woman named Miranda who finds a powerful weapon left behind by a long-vanished empire. And that, of course, launches her on an epic adventure with a sprawling cast of characters. And... I think what I think is so interesting about this is that, this is not a book first. Like Lev Grossman, right? He writes books. Yeah. <laughs> and But this is not an adaptation of a series he's already written. This is him writing specifically for TV, which I, I find kind of fascinating. And there are other writers out there who do this. I'm thinking of, for example, Attica Locke, who's an amazing mystery writer, also writes for Empire. And mm. uh, I know that Charles Yu has written for TV as well. But that I mean, being a show writer on a show and then writing a whole new show that's sort of in your genre, but you're creating from scratch with a director team. I just think that's interesting.
0: I do, too. I mean, he's he's like, well, he's crossed over into so many areas of work. Like, he was a journalist at one time. True. Um, He was a book critic and also, like a technology writer mm. so but that none of that stuff has anything to do with writing for right. <laughs> a right. tv show so i think it's really interesting as well but i wonder if he maybe learned a lot from the adaptation of his books um, well
1: i had i know that he wasn't involved in adapting them per se like mm. he didn't do much on the I th- I think he was maybe an EP, but, like, I know that he didn't have a hand in that adaptation. But I guess just from watching somebody else adapt your stuff, you would learn things.
0: Yeah, maybe. Maybe he's just, like, really, like, ambitious. Just, yeah. like, I'm <laughs> gonna, just, just going to try this and right. see if it works out. And he already has, he's a big name. Um, mm-hmm. So it's probably his connections to make sure that happens. And... I don't know how it's going to (laughs) go. No. No. But it could turn out that he's an amazing, you know, screenwriter. Yeah. Um, So I'll be curious to see how this turns out. And, you know, other people. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say other people are going to be involved that will have a hand in making it, like, a good show. Like, the directors are going to be there. There will be people probably guiding the whole thing. So...
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't have any doubts about his ability to write. It's just interesting to to see a form switch like this. Um, yeah. I do have some feelings about the <laughs> Russo brothers, but we'll save that for another show.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, then, um, I think I want to talk about, since I talk about Sean and Maguire so much, <laughs> I might as well talk about this news from from her camp um so over the woodward wall i have such a hard time saying that for some reason over the woodward wall is going to be a new fantasy series from seanan mcguire which is it's always exciting to hear news of something new coming from her but she's so prolific like she Mm -hmm. writes so many books and she's writing this one as a deborah baker i have not looked into um Why she does all of the why she uses all of the different pen names, but I always find it interesting.
1: Um, yeah, I was thinking about when I found out she was also Mira Grant.
0: Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, (laughs) so it's always interesting to see what persona she's going to take on. So, Over the Woodward Wall is going to be a story for all ages, and it's going to be a story about. Avery and Zib, and how they became lost, and how they became found again, although not necessarily found as we might understand it, whatever that means. I'm very excited to learn. Um, so yeah, Seanan McGuire uh, created the Were Children series, which I love so much. I've read, I'm not really great at finishing series, but I've read all of those books, so that tells you how much I enjoy her writing. Um, lots of other projects, middle game. And Shannon said that she's always loved the trope of the book within the book as far back as she can remember. And this is about middle game. Um, She asked if I'd consider writing over the Woodward wall, um, her editor, which is a key part of that book setting. So I'm really fascinated to read these. I love all ages stories. I tend to read a lot more all ages comics, so um, this is kind of a new thing for me. And I, yeah, I'm looking forward to reading Over the Woodward Wall. Are you as excited? You read the Wayward Children series. Oh. I
1: actually haven't yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm behind My on mistake. this. I have read some of her Mira Grant stuff, though. And I think, you know, I was just thinking about why she might use a new pen name for this. And I wonder if it's because it's an all ages yeah. young reader series, because her other stuff is not that. And I wonder if she's doing that thing. Actually, it's very common in romance where you target different series that have different readerships with different pen names so that people know what to expect when they pick up like people know when they pick up Mira grant that it's going to be sci-fi if you're picking up sean and mcguire it's likely to be fantasy so i wonder if that's the goal with this is if you pick it up you know it's going to be all ages i think
0: you're totally right victoria Schwab does that too um with her ya book so that makes a lot of sense
1: yeah yeah but appendiums pen names are fascinating endlessly fascinating yeah
0: like how do they come up with them is right. there some sort of hidden message in them <laughs> is it an anagram for something? yes <laughs> i don't know i'm so nerdy but i want to know um oh and i should mention that this is coming out october 2020 i was like does it even have a date and it's right in the giant banner in front of my face
1: <laughs> so we have a little while to wait yeah we do like always we can run some anagrams in the we will well, all, right. <laughs> all right for our last news story i was delighted to hear that charlie jane anders is going to be in the writer's room for the why the last man adaptation this has been a sort of tumultuous adaptation process they have had different showrunners involved and it doesn't have really a release yet oh no i i lied it is supposed to still release in sometime in 2020 so not an mm-hmm. exact release date but a release year and one thing that we do know now because charlie Jean just announced it is that uh she is going to be part of the writer's room which is really cool because one of the i it's been so long since i read these that i cannot remember how why the last man dealt with transgender folks and non-binary folks and gender queer folks like it's a it's a it's sort of based on a binary gender premise. And so I was, I was thinking about like, oh, how are they going to deal with that? Mm. Will they deal with it well? And Charlie Jane herself is trans. So it's really encouraging to me that there's a trans person in that writer's room who can help to make sure that it deals with that issue in like a respectful and interesting and genuine way.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think there was a lot of relief all around about this news. And, like, I want to see Charlie, Jane, Anders involved in everything. So (laughs) I I just saw the name and was super excited. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I don't know as much about Why the Last Man. So when I saw the news, I was kind of like, oh, that's really cool, but I didn't realize, like, the background about it and why it was so important uh, to have Yeah.
1: I mean, why, the character Y is literally the last man on Earth when you open up the book. All the men have died from a mysterious plague, and it's just women now, and that premise doesn't leave a lot of room for... Things outside like you know what I mean? Like for yeah, gender yeah. exploration and non-binary no. gender things. So it's it's very uh I, I'm very encouraged by this news.
0: Yeah. It's nice to hear about things in Hollywood that are happening that are really progressive and great and they're actually doing something that's you know, that represents people and is inclusive. So
1: Yes, exactly, exactly.
0: It's a wonderful thing.
1: It is, it is. And also, like you said, Charlie Jane Anders is just generally amazing. Like, she's she's so good at world building and she's so good at characters. So, you know, regardless of the gender binary issues, like, I yes, I agree with you. She is an amazing addition no matter what. It's just like an extra layer of amazingness on top of that.
0: Really? Like, and a, se- a real expert in all things science fiction and fantasy. So yes. it's a wonderful yes. thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, before we start talking about our non-human narrator books, I'm going to tell you about our next sponsor, which I... Could it be more perfect? It's so perfect that this was going to be my initial choice. And I had to, once I saw the sponsor, I had to quickly revise. So uh, our sponsor is The Hollow Kingdom by Kyra Jane Buxton. Such a fantastic book. So... Here's what it's about. ST, a domesticated crow, is a bird of simple pleasures, hanging out with his owner, Big Jim, and enjoying the finest food humankind has to offer Cheetos. Then Big Jim's eyeball falls out of his head, and ST feels like something isn't quite right. Humanity's extinction has seemingly arrived, and the only one determined to save it is a foul mouthed crow whose knowledge of the world comes from watching TV. Hollow Kingdom is a humorous, big-hearted, and boundlessly beautiful romp through the apocalypse and the world that comes after, where even a cowardly crow can become a hero. Um, So this book is, it has a post-apocalyptic vision with a lot of reverence for nature. It's really funny. It's so funny. Like, I started reading this book because Liberty was talking about it. I think she actually pinged me about it, um because it's really dark, but also darkly comedic. And it just has the best animal characters I have read in a really long time. It's a crow, and it's not mentioned here, but it's also a hound dog. So the crow is like basically guiding this somewhat dumb hound dog along in this post-apocalyptic world. Um, and it's just, I, I just want everybody to read this so that we can all laugh together. And this is a, her, Kira's debut novel, uh, which is always shocking when it's such a good read. She lives in Seattle where the book is set, so she has a lot of experience with the actual setting. Pacific Northwestern, so that's also <laughs> cool represent. And you should definitely check it out. I laughed so hard. Again, that was The Hollow Kingdom by Kyra Jane Buxton all right mm-hmm. let's talk about some non-human narrators uh, let's do it and are you up first do you want to go first do you want me to go first
1: sure i'm happy to go first all right <laughs> i yes i immediately thought of octavia butler's xenogenesis series when i finally got over the animal fixation that we both had <laughs> <So> <laughs> which weird. is not to say there are a lot of great Sci-fi fantasy narrated by animals, but I wanted to go a little bit outside of that. And so the book that I picked is Adulthood Rites, which is the second in the Xenogenesis series by Octavia Butler. And I picked this because Akin, who is the main character, is very specifically not human in a really interesting way. So the world of this series is that humanity was on the brink of total extinction because of nuclear war. And this alien race called the onkali swooped in, saved some humans that they could, and took them onto spaceships and have been working since on trading genetic materials with them. But some of the humans are super not on board with this. Like they want to stay genetically human and not accept any of the, Upgrades that the Oankali are seeking to make are the genetic trades, which is complicated because you know they have really advanced medicine. They can cure cancer. They can make people stronger, more healthier immune systems. You know, able to eat differently and more successfully. You know, all kinds of things that could be good. But they also have tentacles, and you know, three (laughs) genders, and are very strange to the humans. And the first book, Dawn, is all about uh, the main character. Trying to decide, is she willing to be part of this project of the Owen Collies to to you know merge with humanity and create a new type of people and and so in this book she is given birth to Akin. and Akeen has five parents like a male and female human a male and female Owen Collie and an Uloi who are the third gender of the aliens and he, he looks pretty human which not all of the new children of these mergings look and he is you know pretty like trying to learn how to be in the world and then he's kidnapped by human resistors who are you know don't want to trade genetically with the Onkali and so have been rendered sterile by the aliens. Like, you can't breed unless you're willing to be part of their new breeding program. So it's it's really complicated and weird, right? Because, like, this is sort of forced euthanization, which is not great, you know? And then it's also but, like, if you could improve your genetics, why wouldn't you? And what does racial purity mean? And how important is it? And what does coercion mean? And how do you make choices in these situations? So it, And there aren't easy answers. Like, octavia butler is never on board for easy answers it's always <laughs> really complicated and so you're following akin as he's trying to deal with these humans and the owen collie decide to leave him with them because they want him to decide what should be done about these human resistors and so if you are troubled by you know sort of different kinds of violence towards children there's it's not it's not too graphic but it's also there's some not great stuff that happens uh this one might not be for you but Akin you know goes on this journey trying to deal with his human captors and having all of this responsibility to decide what is going to happen to these human resistors and, and also who is he and like, what is, what kind of a being does he want to be? So it's a really fascinating sort of third party viewpoint on humanity and also on this alien race. So complicated is is the word for all of that. Um, But again, that's Adulthood rights by Octavia Butler. And it is the second book in the Xenogenesis series.
0: Octavia Butler always asks the most interesting questions with her work. So true. It's so great. Um, okay, so for my science fiction pick, I chose All Since Systems Red by Martha Wells. Yeah. And this is narrated by Murderbot. So I really love science fiction with a lot of humor, and I really love that Murderbot is really sarcastic. And so I love the entire vibe of this. And it is, again, narrated entirely by Murderbot. And the story is told from its perspective. When we meet Murderbot, it's on the job. It's accompanying a team of scientists. They're conducting the surface test on another planet. This is one of those, like, commissioned missions. And it goes to, like, the lowest bidders, (laughs) which is an interesting future world. Um, Murderbot is the SEC unit, and that means it's an Android made up of organic and non-organic parts, and its mission is to keep humans safe and to report back to this company that oversees, uh, the endeavors. But Murderbot is really different in that it's hacked its own system, so it can watch programs and television. Like, it loves television shows, it just wants to sit back, and it has thoughts beyond the scope of its work. And it's very clear about who, you know, Murderbot is, what it thinks. And Murderbot's really pragmatic and dislikes the company of humans, preferring to basically, in essence, Netflix and chill. <laughs> and I just thought it was great. I think Murderbot is probably one of my favorite introverted characters at this point. So you get the sense that that Murderbot's often set up with humans who are inefficient not that bright, not that aware of its presence or any SecBot's presence. And this is a universe that's really corporate-based and it runs on cheap labor. But then there are things about Murderbot, like its actions and instincts that make you wonder and that make the team of scientists... Uh, it's currently working with wonder about Murderbot as well. So Murderbot's on this mission something is not right, something's going wrong, there are issues with their reports and the information the team's being given, and then there's this other mission that goes dark. So the team decides to investigate because you know, as Murderbot notes, they're pretty decent humans, which is an unusual thing for him to, for Murderbot to encounter. So there are some great characters on the team in addition to Murderbot, like lots of fierce people lots of fierce scientists and the team investigates this mission that's gone dark and then things go really awry and i just got so much joy from the narration and the snarkiness and also the mm-hmm. squeamishness about showing any side of Murderbot self that threatens to expose the slightest bit of humanity So the story has thrills, it has mystery and investigations lots of lols, terrifying space monsters, and this really endearing team that has kind of this found family feel a lot of us enjoy. And I can see why it won some awards, including a Hugo, Nebula, and Locus Award. It just has everything you want in a science fiction read. And this is the first book in the Murderbot Diaries, which is complete at four books, um, all of them novellas. So not only can you read the whole series, you can probably read the whole series pretty quickly, and yeah, again, that was All Systems Read by Martha Wells.
1: Love it. So good. So good. So good. Okay, my next pick is narrated by a rock. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, kind of. Uh, I picked The Raven Tower by Anne Leckie, which she is better known for her ancillary justice series, which is fantastic and actually also has a non-human narrator and that it is narrated by a sentient spaceship. But, so I guess we shouldn't be surprised that her first fantasy novel is narrated by a sentient rock. It is actually a god rock. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is a divine <laughs> rock. It has been imbued with divine powers through the worship of humans. Actually, it's kind of unclear if it already was divine or... Or if the worship of the humans made it sentient. Anyway, it is a very powerful rock. And it takes a little while to figure out that that's the narrator. But I don't think it's a spoiler to tell you that. Because it's so delightful. Um, and it's, it's also in some of the PR materials. So, uh, and, and this is like a medieval fantasy world. There's a kingdom that you know has been aligned with a particular god called the raven for a very long time and, you know, a human ruler is chosen to be the the conduit for the raven, and there's blood sacrifice, but the city flourishes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But now, you know, a usurper is on the throne. It's kind of Hamlet-y, actually, and there are invaders trying to get, you know, the riches that this kingdom has, and there are other gods involved, and this rock god is sort of observing. And I, I think Leckie is playing with this idea of geologic time in a very deliberate way because the perspective of this rock, it does go back to, like, pre, you know, this planet that it's on being any sort of habitable place. So its perspective is eons long. And it's like, oh, look at these tiny humans, like, running around and doing things. Why would I ever get involved in that? (laughs) But one thing leads to another and... It does, and I won't say how or why because that will be spoilery. But you get these alternating perspectives of. There's also a young warrior named aolo who is involved in this kingdom uh, and has, you know, is is the companion to the prince and is a warrior and is trying to make sure that you know his prince stays protected and everything goes well and it's very complicated. And you see him alternating with the perspective of this god and it's so interesting and i loved it so much it was incredibly immersive i loved the way that divinity is envisioned in this book and the way that the magic system works like what it means to have power and what the rules of that power are oh it's so fascinating and there's a huge twist to it that when I got there, I just was like, I put the book down and I just stared at the wall for like five (laughs) minutes. I was like, what? Like mind blown. It was just so much fun. And and Lecky is just such a good writer, too. Like the voice is so engaging. I will say that some people seem to have trouble with parts of the book are narrated in second person plor in second person singular, like you. Uh you do this, you do that. Actually, not unlike NK Jemison's Broken Earth trilogy. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that Lucky was influenced in that in part. And um but it's 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 totally worth if you if if you're a person who struggles with that kind of voice, I think if you just hang in there it will it will become clear why that is the choice. It's a very specific deliberate choice so i highly 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 recommend it and and it's every when I think about like what the purpose of a non human narrator is, this so perfectly captures it because it gives us a look at. Humanity from this very outside perspective and a perspective that's just has completely different concerns and a sense of time and a sense of importance than humanity does. And that's fascinating. I think that's just fascinating to inhabit that mindset. So, again, that's The Raven Tower by Anne Lecky. That sounds amazing.
0: Uh, getting like a successful twist is so difficult. Yes, so. It is. I'm really curious. Okay, well, my next pick is Freshwater by Akaweki Emezi. Um, And this book is based in Emezi's realities, so I'm cheating a bit because it's not actually fantasy. But I strongly believe fantasy lovers will enjoy this debut about non-human embodiment. Uh, So the story follows Ada, who's a young woman born in Nigeria, and born embodied by sentient spirits. So what happened is something unusual took place when Ada made the transition from spirit to flesh, where the gods forgot to close the gates against remembrance, and these spirits live in her, aware that they're trapped inside the body of an infant child when Ada's born, and they're the ones who narrate the story, calling her the Ada and giving us a view of her world from the inside out. So Ada grows up with them in a sort of fitful way. She finds them really overwhelming as a child, as you might with other voices going on in you, um, especially as a child. But then her relationship with them develops and changes as she gets older and travels from Nigeria to the United States where she ends up going to college. And she has a number of traumatic experiences both in her childhood and in um, as she's growing up into adulthood. And the spirits are there with her, guiding her and protecting her in their own way. And I just found the narration of the spirits so compelling and so unique every time i bring up this book i say it's like nothing i've ever read before and a lot of that comes from the narration So the perspective is kind of liminal, but you know where you are in relation to Ada. And the narration shifts later in the story as Ada's relationship with the spirits develops, which is also really interesting. So the narration kind of splits and there are these individual voices speaking from within Ada. But it always feels like they're speaking from this world of spirits where their outlook is so different and so... Raw, like I was trying to find the right word to go with it, like essential and completely unique and almost godly. So the way they react to events in Ada's life and the methods they they execute to protect her have these really instinctual layers almost. It's almost like survival. And they have an impact on her relationships, particularly with lovers, and also with herself and her body. And when Ada does some soul searching, it's on a completely different level, as you might imagine. So, I think that if you love really surreal stories that experiment with form and narration, and if you enjoy stories that deal with elemental spirits or non human embodiment, then I think you'll really love Amessi's debut novel. And actually, when I talked about this book uh, before in a previous episode, I said it was about the non-binary experience, but I later saw a post from a Mezzi where they stated that it's not about the non-binary experience, that it's about non-human embodiment. So I did want to make that correction. Um, so this is definitely a story about non-human embodiment. And I just finished reading Pet which is a Messi's debut YA novel, and it was also super wonderful. I highly recommend, if you like Freshwater, I recommend checking out Pet as well. Um, it's very different. It's a, it's a YA. Uh, it could almost also be read by middle grade readers. It's very different, but also simi- similarly singular in the writing style and the storytelling. I just thought it was wonderful. Uh, freshwater, I should say does come with content and trigger warnings for self-harm, sexual assault, suicide, and child death. So do know that if you're thinking of picking it up. Uh, I, that's this story has just stayed with me since I read it, as you might be able to tell. Uh, so again, I've been talking about freshwater by Akwaeke Mizzi.
1: Awesome.
0: Yes, and that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. And you can, as always, email us at sffyat at bookriot.com. And please do review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps us know what you're thinking about the show. It also helps other people find us. And you can find us online. I'm on Instagram at Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B, Williams. How about you, Jen?
1: I am on Twitter as Jen IRL. That's Jen with two N's, I-R-L. And you can find me on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And thanks so much for listening.